So everything you've learned about dentate occlusion, reverse it round for edentulous occlusion. So canine guidance is a bad thing in dentures. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career with your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode on Complete Dentures with Dr. Mark Bishop. Uh, Dr. Mark Bishop was actually one of my first ever, he was my first ever clinical tutor at dental school. It was in second year, early in second year, doing Complete Dentures. And what this guy doesn't know about Complete Dentures is frankly not worth knowing. Uh, we share so many great gems, as always. We talk about talking to your dentist patients or your denture patients about expectations, how to manage occlusions in dentures. We talk about which is the best impression material for dentures. How can we get a lower suction denture? Is there a technique or is there something else that's there to it? Another couple of things we talk about is red flag patients and how to identify them, as well as at what point can you actually say, actually, this patient in front of you will actually benefit massively from implants and actually the dentures just won't cut it. So that's something I often think about is actually with such a resorb ridge, are they gonna get any success with this complete denture I'm about to make, or do they actually need to have implants, as in need to have implants? So we, we touch on that as well. The protrusive dental pearl I have for you, quite fittingly, is actually mentioned in the podcast episode, but it's something that Dr. Mark Bishop taught me about complete dentures. And it's basically, when you have a patient who has complete dentures and an ulcer due to the complete denture, and you're trying to adjust that bit on the, or ease that denture so that it's not rubbing against the denture anymore so it's a bit more comfortable for them how do you actually know exactly where to adjust so you're not adjusting inappropriate areas or adjusting too much and you you only want to adjust the fitting surface where the ulcer is so what uh, mark taught me to use and uh, what i still use this day is the only reason i have dical in the practice i use the base paste of the the white one uh, of dical and i put put it uh, dry the ulcer and I put it a little bit around the ulcer area, uh, and then you press the denture on, you actually insert it in, you press the denture on, and you remove it, and you'll have the, the base paste of the dical on the fit surface of the denture, so now you know exactly where to adjust for that patient. So I hope you enjoyed the episode with Dr. Mark Bishop, and I'll catch you in the outro. Right, so uh, usually it's Dr. Mark Bishop, but you, in our relationship, I know you're happy for me to call you Mark. Mark, thanks so much for coming on, uh, the, like on the podcast. That's a, it's a pleasure, total pleasure. You were my first ever uh, clinical tutor in dental school. Really? Did you know that? Yeah, because we did uh, complete uh, dentures. Well, I, yeah, because it's the first thing you do, isn't it? Complete dentures. You set the bar really high, and to then to be taught by other dentists was never quite the same as being being taught by you. And I'm, be, I'm being serious, I'm being honest, and, and uh, you are an, an asset to dental uh, dental school. However, I, I don't know, are you, do, are you doing much teaching anymore? Yeah, I still do two days a week. Um, as you know, I sold my practice in November uh, 2019. So uh, time for coronavirus. Um, although obviously I didn't know it at the time. I feel very, very lucky to have been able to step away at that time. I feel really sorry for you guys who are still having to look at the coal face now. It's very difficult for you. Um, but no, I carried on doing two days a week. So I'm now um, a part-time dentist, which is quite nice. Brilliant. And uh, this episode is going to be all about complete dentures and how we can uh, make it easier, more predictable, some some tips that we can share with the listeners. Uh, so tell us, as part of the introduction, um, how did you get into complete dentures? I know we all sort of dabble per se, and now they say more and more that complete dentures has really become almost like its own postgraduate uh, speciality. But how did you um, get your enjoyment and fulfillment from, from complete dentures that you do? Well, I always knew that I didn't want to work five days a week in practice. So quite quickly after graduating, about 18 months after graduating, I sent a bit of a cheeky letter to Charles Clifford in Sheffield and said, do you want any clinical tutors? So I ended up getting there and realized that it was something that I'd got a bit of a love for. Um, and then I did a master's, which was um, 
a general restorative masters uh, because as you know i didn't just teach complete dentures i taught restorative as well um and i got to know a guy called david lamb who became a little bit of a mentor for me and i i just really enjoyed it i love the what's the nicest way of putting it you're not sticking injections into people so you're not you're not potentially causing discomfort um you're doing full full mouth rehabilitations on everyone you treat yep, um cool. and just you can have you can kind of have a bit of a nice chat with people um so i always find it quite a low pressure side of of the job and uh i never really saw it much as dentistry i saw it as more of a hobby well, I have to say, uh, it certainly came across that way when you were teaching me both during uh, second year and also we had a few sessions together in like fourth and fifth year. And uh, I, I, I've seen uh, since I've qualified, uh, you've started doing some complete dental courses um, around the UK. Yeah, yeah. I try and do about three a year now because I understand it's, it's, um, it's a subject that undergraduates don't I mean, even at Sheffield now, our current teaching is a shared set of dentures in second year, and now we've moved to the same model, shared set of dentures in third year. And then you go out into general practice, and very often people have done that. That's all they've done. And they go out into a field which I personally think we make it more difficult than it has to be, um, but we go very unprepared. And then people suddenly start treating patients, realize how difficult it is. And then they need a course to maybe understand, you know, little tips that they can improve what they do on a day-to-day basis. Well, it's the same as uh, cram preparations, root canal treatments. Uh, dentists nowadays, we're qualifying with less and less of the quota for each of these procedures and complete dentures is no exception. So um, we're going to hopefully improve the, the complete denture removal prosthetic dentistry of everyone listening. And the first question I have for you, Mark, is, so you can have a very technically excellent denture and you have a patient who has a certain ability to adapt. So there's um, the quality of the denture on one side and there's a patient's ability to adapt. And I think sometimes people call this the neuromuscular adaptation or whereabouts. So how much, uh, how much of the success of complete dentures comes from it being a technically excellent denture and how much of it uh, it comes from uh, the ability for the patient to adapt, which is more important. Okay, good question. Um, we can only work with things that are in in our sort of uh, ability to cope with. Okay, so that's the dentist and the patient. So what what can we directly affect? We can directly affect the impression technique that we can take. So there's good evidence base to say that the quality of the impression will have an effect on the standard of the denture okay and the other thing we can affect is the registration stage so again there's good research to say that the registration stage gives good results if done accurately there are things that are way out of our control so whether a patient can adapt or not adapt is out of out of out of our control so really, we've got to concentrate on what we can do. Now, going back to your question, some patients obviously adapt better than others. Um, but most people we see, I would think, are having replacement dentures. Um, a small percentage of in the first set of dentures. So the people having replacement dentures know how to wear dentures. And what happens sometimes with uh, dentists, we, we, we kind of blame them that they're not adapting to our new dentures. When realistically, if we'd have copied the good aspects of their old dentures, they probably wouldn't have to go through a main major uh, relearning curve. Fair enough. Well, well, one thing that I think you, I think you taught me this. I can't credit anyone else for this. Is that when someone comes in um, who has a technically rubbish denture and they're able mm-hmm. to get along with it, I get so happy. And if I'm if I'm the next dentist who's going to make them a new denture and they're already adapted to this rubbish denture, and I know that I can only technically improve this denture that for me is okay this is this is going to be hopefully a home run okay so it's a it's a home run with some potential pitfalls so some of these patients can be people who've worn dentures for 35 40 50 years and they come in with a set of dentures that look like they've been through uh you know been through a cement mixer or something they're all over the place 
And then what happens? People go, okay, there's loads and loads of technical faults on these. I'm going to correct them. And what the dentist often does is makes a mistake of turning them back to the ideal denture. So they don't measure the freeway space of the old set of dentures and they don't have an assessment of where that's at. So let's say for sake of argument, you get patients who have lost a dramatic amount of face height and they've had the dentures for 35, 40 years. You make them a set of dentures that technically you look at and go, wow, they are brilliant. But you may have changed the freeway space from something like 17, 18, 19 millimeters to three. Now, there's no way in this world that patient's going to adapt to that. They're going to have to adapt to it through stages. And in situations like that, it's part of training the patient to say, look, we can't make you look perfect. But what we can do is maybe make your dentures a little bit bigger. And then in three years, we'll make you another set, which we can make the dentures a little bit bigger and gradually turn you back to having a perfect set of dentures. Although I'd like to just take the word perfect out of that because I think perfect and dentures and perfect and dentistry doesn't always go together. You, you, you can't do perfect. You can do the best you can do. Yep, brilliant. And I think that's uh, exactly what you, you taught in terms of uh, the freeway space. I actually remember we... I actually remember vividly second year clinics and we had the, the patient a freeway space of 12. I remember you saying, we're not going to go down two, three, we're going to go around about six or seven or thereabouts. And I actually remember you teaching that actually very vividly. Um, the next thing I want to ask you, I want to start with, a, with my experience. And I did my um, DCT one post in guys hospital. I don't know if you know, Dr. Lyndon Cabo. No, not come across him. So, so he teaches the removal pros um, at, at Guy's Hostel, and um, I, I did a complete denture clinic with him at, at hostel there. Uh, lovely chap, very knowledgeable, very passionate like yourself about removal prosthetics. Uh, and I remember him having a study group with us, and he sat us all around. And there was about maybe eight or ten of us DCT1s, and he went around the room asking each one of us, which you have a patient in front of you, You've got your special tray, okay? Which impression material will you, will you use? And he went down in the room and each person said, oh yeah, I'll use alginate, I'll use zinc oxide usual, which I know is a favorite of yours. Uh, I said, oh, mm -hmm. I'm gonna use um, a monophase, I'm gonna use medium body silicon, okay? And the mistake we all made is that not one of us asked us, uh, asked uh, Dr. Cabo, well actually, what does the arch look like? What does the actual arch look like? Because that will determine what, what kind of material you're going to go for. So uh, that question leads nicely to, can you give us some guiding principles about which impression materials, when you're choosing impression materials, choose, which ones do you tend to suggest and what changes your decision making? Okay, so, so a couple of things there. Firstly, there isn't a perfect impression material. You know, you can look at all the research and... Um, you can't do a double-blind cl clinical trial on impression materials because, do you know what, the clinician knows what they're using. It's impossible to do. So everyone gets their own little thing they like to work with. All impression materials work, okay? But the trouble is a lot of people use them poorly. So alginate's my favorite um, for discussion. So alginate works perfectly well. But alginate, like most materials, works at an optimal thickness. So it works at three millimeters. Now, if you use an alginate for a resorbed lower ridge, it's useless. It's impossible to use because ultimately, you can't really get three millimeters of space around the edges of that and to get alginate to use in its best way. So alginate's a very, very good primary impression material. Secondary impression materials, um, I never use alginate ever, ever for secondary impressions. Um, I use zinc oxide, as you say. I really, really like it. And I like uh, monoface silicones. Um, with monoface silicones, again, you've got to remember that they have an optimal thickness. So if you're going to use a mono monoface silicone, ideally try and get a 1.5 millimeter tissue stop on it. And you need that space at the periphery as well, because if not, you're going to record in your borders in the tray, which is not particularly useful. Um, for me, the only time I steer clear of my zinc oxide is um, when there's an excessive fibrous ridge, um, because I don't want to compress that tissue. I want to record it in a static position, um, because anything that you compress will want to bounce back into its usual form which is not ideal under a denture. 
And uh, I avoid it in people with uh, excessive xeristomia. And I avoid it with people who have not just, I have a little, I get a bit itchy after wearing a plaster for seven weeks. Um, you know, people who have proper allergies to elastoplast. Apart from that, I stick with it. Uh, the other case I sometimes avoid, well, I do avoid it with is excessive undercuts because obviously you're not going to get it back out of excessive undercuts. So really, stick to what you enjoy using. Just use it correctly. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing we worked so hard on this protrusive team and i know you're just gonna love it now back to the main episode other than the undercuts is there anything else in the anatomy that um, that might change you know your uh, you from moving from one material to a different material based on anatomical considerations well again i think we can go back the, the more the more atrophic the ridge is the more you want your impression tray to simulate the inside of a denture so the bigger the tray is, the bigger the problem you're going to get because you're not going to record those um, muscle movements that you want to record to get the best result. Um, so no, really, I think fibrous ridges avoids zinc oxide, uh, severe undercuts avoids zinc oxide. Um, but I think one of the reasons I get good results is because I'm very consistent at my approach. I think a lot of, a lot of young graduates, instead of thinking, what is it that caused the problem? They think it must be a panacea of an impression material that's going to give a perfect result. And it just doesn't. It's about practice and getting good at things. You know, so many people start with good intentions. They're going to use a material. They do it two or three times. They're not getting the results they want. They blame the material. When actually it takes time to practice anything. Nobody picks a guitar up and bangs out a tune straight away. Awesome. The, the next question I have then is moving away from the impression material is more about the looking at the patient in a broader perspective. Um, can you tell us about which red flags can we watch, watch oh. out for in our, in our patients? Okay. Because I know there's, yeah. The red flag patient. Okay, so this is where I think most dentists go wrong. The lack of that ability to say, do you know what? I think this is beyond my skill set. So you get things like endo, uh, and it's a multi-rooted, difficult endo and a seven. People wouldn't think twice about going, right, that's out of my skill set. I don't think I can do that. Or it could be a full mouth rehabilitation, or it could be ortho, something like that. But with dentures, we all have a go at whatever comes through the door, and that's where the problems start. So, so I have got some red flags. Okay, so if anyone comes into me and says, I've never been happy with my lower denture, I know full well that the chance of even me, who's done two and a half thousand dentures in his career, solving that problem is massively reduced. Okay, so that's, that's one. Another one where people say, look, I've been to so many dentures and they can, dentists and they can never get the appearance right. Again, boom, big flag, starts to warn. What, they've all not been able to do it? And, you know, why, why will I be the one that solves that problem? Um, there are people who want to design their own dentures. So they'll come in and they'll go, right, I have a loose denture. Um, and you'll take the denture out and the palate will be halfway back along the palate. And they'll go, well, yeah, but I can't have it any further back than that. And, uh, but I want it to be tight. Mm -hmm. And not having that conversation to go, look, you choose what you want because you can't have both. So that's another one. Um, People That's a tough conversation to have, isn't it? To, you know, for a young dentist to say to someone in their, you know, latter stages of life to be like, well, hang on a minute, there's only so much you can do. It's a difficult conversation because sometimes these patients, they almost tell you, they almost tell you, oh, I, I think you need to adjust it over here, lad. You know, just over there. I think if you do that, that'll do the trick or, or whatever. So I think they can be quite dictating if they see a young so, dentist and, you know. 
Yeah, absolutely. They they love it. They love it. And and watch out for certain professions as well. So engineers, head teachers, <laughs> and pe- people are used to telling people how to do things. And and I know it's a generic sort of picking on certain professions, but people who have a lot of control in their life like to tell young professionals how to do things. Um, I have a way around that, which is. You, you remember PSI Pace, Jazz? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I, you were an undergraduate. I, 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 yeah, I, I bought it for oh. the, the, the practice. You know, I still use it based on your teachings, yeah. Perfect. So what I do with that with engineers and people who are quite strict is I tell them what I'm going to do before I, what I'm, before I do it. So I say, look, what I'm going to do is I'm going to load up this impression material around the edge of your denture, and we're going to press really hard. And what it will show you is where it touches your mouth. So anywhere other than the point that that tells me, I won't adjust. And I won't adjust it because it's not in your best interest. So if you're getting pain from your denture, it's not being caused by the inside of your denture. It's being caused by something else. So it could be the way your teeth come together, or it could be, do you know what? You're very stressed as an individual and you clench your teeth. And it doesn't matter to where I adjust. If that's the case, it's still going to be a problem. So, um, so yeah, so that's, I, I understand as a young dentist, you need to have skill sets that you can do, like go to ways of proving a point to a patient. Never, ever do that in a, in a non-scientific and a non-technical way. Mm-hmm. You have to, you have to be able to say, look, this is what's going to happen. I will show you. We'll look what we get. And then you'll understand why adjusting that denture is not in your best interest. No, I really like how you explained that to actually show them, oh, these are areas I can adjust. And you, you, you give a reason as opposed to, no, 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 I don't think so. You justify it. Uh, and, and for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what PSI paste is, it's, it's pressure spot indicator paste, uh, which I don't know which uh, company makes it. It's made, by a com- it's made by a company called Coltine. Okay, Coltine, yeah, sure. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's a must. And remember when you use it and get your nurses to do it as well, make sure... They understand why one tube is wide and one tube is narrow, okay? You don't put the same (laughs) amount in. You put the same length in, but you keep the nozzles to the width. It's really important. Otherwise, it's going to set far too quickly and it'll be non-diagnostic. Did you have any more red flags or should we move to the next question? Yeah, let's have a look. Secret denture wearers. Have you had any of those yet, Jazz? Um, I think so, because so they don't want to remove their denture at night time, so because they don't want their partner to see, because so they don't want them to. Is it that one, or is it because uh, in public? Absolutely, yeah, I... pe- pe- yeah. People who don't want to be seen without their dentures, mm. so uh, that, that's a red flag. There's a there's a potential degree of neuroticism attached to that. Um, the it's quite reasonable. I can understand why people wouldn't want to be seen without it. I was but just thinking, it yeah, it's very reasonable. But when it becomes a be-all and end-all that I couldn't possibly, you, you know, you know the types, Jazz, that you've met. I'm sure you've met them before. It would literally be the end of their world if they were seen without their denture. Yeah. Um, people who say their dentures are loose. Have you ever had that where you have an upper denture, patients say my denture's loose. You actually try and pull it out and you virtually have to put your knee on the chest to get it out. And yet they tell you that upper denture's loose. I haven't Have had that. Had that's, my, 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 that's my lack of experience compared to you showing. I haven't had that one. Um, I've had it once in hostel where uh, it, it's a fantastic, I, I, if I may say so myself, a really you know, textbook denture I made up a complete fantastic uh, suction, but it was uh, an error I had made in the occlusion that he, he said, okay, the, okay, yeah. That's always the problem. So when somebody says my dentures are, are loose and you try it and you feel good retention, then it's always occlusion. Okay, that was so, my error in that case, yeah. Yeah. And the other ones are, does anyone talk to the patient about use of adhesive? Do you do that, Jazz? Do you ever speak to your patient before you start about the need for denture adhesive? Um, I do say quite a lot of time people will need a bit of adhesive now and again um, so that it, it allows your denture to stick on and stay on better so that they are already in the mindset that should should it... Should it be a challenging case and we cannot get adequate retention without the need for adhesive, then they already mentally prep for it. Okay, so again, that's another red flag for me. So if a patient's got a horror of using adhesive, Mm. um, and anatomically you look at them and you go, 
do you know what? That lower denture is going to move. It's far better to tell them at the start that you're going to need adhesive, but guess what? Adhesive's not very good on lower dentures. And I explain about gravity and how the adhesive's going to come out, your saliva's going to wash it away. Um, mm-hmm. Because in the end, adhesive really helps dentures. And even a well-fitting denture benefits from adhesive. So they're the sort of red flags. There's quite a few like that. Well, following on from the, the last one you said about the use of adhesive uh, for a lower denture, lower dentures being so tricky and, and traditionally because of the anatomy, very difficult to get um, good stability and retention. At what point do you look at, at a ridge and say, you know what, you actually generally need a couple of implants, maybe as part of an implant retained overdenture or an implant supported prosthesis, um, and you think that with any complete denture in the world, you will not be able to satisfy them. What what is the cutoff point? Um, I think I believe the the classification of ridges is it, is it the Atwoods? Atwood classifications. So it, can you can you put a classification on it? Is that how you like to teach it, or what can you teach us to know that mm. what point we should be looking for? You know what? Actually, we better send you to an implantologist. In a quotation okay, marks. right. So basically, I've just been doing a little bit of a study with a friend of mine called Johnny Dixon at Sheffield. And um, what we're doing is we're looking at what comes through the door when, when we see people and assess them for undergraduate care. So on the lower ridge, I've just flicked this up because it's in front of me, okay? Out of 60 patients, I saw 25 out of those 60 were outward five and six. So that's flat ridges or depressed ridges, Okay. So that's nearly 50% of every patient that comes through your door is going to have one of those ridges, okay? So would all those people benefit from implants? Probably. Would they economically all be able to afford it? Definitely not. So we have to find a way of, of trying to solve those problems for those patients. And um, again, lots of studies are out there that show that patients definitely would benefit from two implants. But what's the going rate for a lower implant retained denture down there, Jazz, at the moment? For two implants and uh, a denture? maybe and a lower denture? Yeah, £7,000 probably. Yeah, so even in the north, you know, uh, we're looking around the five mark in some, you know, people who are reasonably priced. And we have way outside what people can afford. Because if you think of the demographics very often, not everybody, not everybody is in that income bracket where five or seven thousand pounds can fall into their lap so going back to your question how do you decide well economically pretty much most of them would benefit yeah economically economically if they all had the money they'd benefit but they don't so you have to work a way of taking accurate lower impressions and you have to educate your patient from the word go that do you know what i show them in the mirror i show them the upper dench i show them the upper ridge I show them the amount of surface area I've got, and then I show them on the lower. And then what I do is I show them when I push their denture to the right and push their denture to the left. It's not that the denture's loose. It's just nothing to stop it moving laterally. And again, it goes back to what I was saying to you early on. It's all about that educational first meeting you have with your patient. If the patient's not on board with it, they're not the patients you can do anything for because you're going to fail no matter how good your dentures are. Yeah, I like that tip of actually showing the patient in the mirror as you move it around. It, you know, I think it really rings it home for them. And I also talk about um, I also talk about it being a bit like a windowsill. So I show them the lower ridge and I show them where the anatomy is, and I say, just imagine your dentures on a windowsill. You open all the windows, and there's a strong wind blowing. Okay, it's trying to blow it in one direction. And you're pushing from the other direction, trying to push it out. You're trying to push, and the wind's pushing back. If one thing overtakes ever so slightly, the denture's going to move. And, you know, you can't talk about neutral zones to patients, but if you put analogies like that that they can visualize, it helps them a lot. I love a good analogy. Um, I think Raj Patel used to say a good one to, to, to patients about when they, were, when they had lower dentures uh, and they, they, they were in pain. And what Raj was trying to convey was the fact that actually the lower, it was the lower arch, which was quite bumpy, that was the issue. There was yeah, like, yeah. You know, bony prominences. So it's a bit like when you go to the toilet and you sit on the, uh, on the toilet seat. Um, and then now when you um, imagine you have, I think, like pebbles on your toilet seat and you sit on it, it won't yeah. feel so good. 
even if you put some t- toilet roll on it, it will still hurt, like using a conditioner or something like that. So I, I do love a good analogy. So if you have any at I'm the glad, end... I'm glad Raj managed to get some toilet humor in there. Very good, Raj. <laughs> he always does somehow or the other. So um, well, the next the question... One I, the one I like, Jazz, on that, the yeah, analogy yeah. I like on that is the, is the camping analogy. So if you go camping, um, you can take a thin blanket and put it on the ground and you're in a pebbly field and you might be able to get comfortable if you just move into one position. But if you move from that position, everything's going to start hurting. And your mucosa is that blanket. Okay, that might be... I like that very much. Raj is full of, you know, a myriad of fantastic uh, analogies, actually. He's 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 a a wise man. He's a wise man. He certainly is. So the next question is, um, moving on from the, the fact that lower ridges that may benefit benefit from implants like we just discussed and the economical issues and that um well firstly the way i explain to patients that look you will benefit from from implants it'll it'll be much better to hold it in and if they look like they can't afford it then i say we can try our best and obviously we want to try and do a technically good as, as good a job as possible but at least uh, you know you set the expectations that actually they're gonna it's gonna be loose they're gonna struggle and implants would be um, a good idea however a, a prerequisite of making an implant retained overdenture is still a good denture. Uh, you, you can't 100%, give a and that's rubbish denture and, yeah. and hope the implants will do the rest of it. So that's a, another not thing a, worth mentioning. If you can't make dentures, Jazz, putting implants in is not going to solve that patient's problem. Absolutely. It will stop the lower denture moving, and that is it. That is the only difference it will give you. Mm-hmm. You still need the fundamentals uh, to, to get as good technique, good coverage. So. Moving on from fundamentals is you see all these uh, videos and I see some of your videos as well of the lower complete dentures with a suction and it's just so mm-hmm. magical to see that almost you know when you when you when you have these uh, patients with lower complete dentures with suction you know who who would believe it uh, yet you're able to do this I've had one or two patients in my career so far where I've been able to achieve that and it's a great feeling it really is um, it's magical you, it, really, it really is so how do we know if okay. How best to put do I put it? Like, how do you know if you can achieve it? Is there something like, is there, is there like a minimum Atwood classification that you can achieve, no. it, achieve it with? Okay. No. So can you, give, yeah, can you tell us a bit more about how we can go about even thinking about getting towards that stage? There's a big degree of luck. So if it's a bit, all dentists are the same. They tend to post their successes, don't they? And anything that's not successful, they hide. Um, it's exactly the same. So you've seen some of my dentures that have suction. Not all my lower dentures have suction. So there is a degree of luck in it. There's no guaranteed way of doing it. Mr. Abe seems to believe that he can do it every time. Um, he may be able to. Good luck to him if he can. Um, but without seeing every set of dentures he makes, I'm not going to buy into that straight away. Um, so realistically, all you can do is do the best impression you can do. And then the most important part is make sure the occlusion's right. Because if those dentures are being discluded every time, there is no way that suction is going to stop it from moving. It will break. So uh, there's, there's no perfect answer, Jazz. So you need a bit of luck and good fundamentals. Good fundamentals, little bit of luck. Um, if you have a really big ridge, very often it's harder to get that suction because if you've got big ridges with undercuts and you have to block those undercuts out, um, you uh, you get air gaps which are underneath, which are too big for the sort of atmospheric, atmospheric pressure to work, um, and it doesn't help. So there's no real perfect ridge. There's no real perfect ridge. Well, you mentioned a good occlusion on dentures as being in, in, important in getting you know, stability. Can you give us a, you know, a quick, quick summary of what are the main things, the, the principles of a good denture occlusion? Is it always a lingualized or a, you know, the whole bull technique to, to get a um, balanced or lingualized occlusion? Is that, is that what you need in every case? Um, I think a lot of it depends on the patient okay so you'll get a lot of patients who if they are it's a bit like the dogs and sheep thing isn't it some of us eat, eat like dogs we incise our food denture wearers a sheep their ruminants they move their job from side to side so the more parafunctional activity a patient has 
the more your occlusion better be right. Okay. You get loads of people who never complain and you know, their occlusion is awful on the dentist. You look at them and go, I can't believe you're not struggling with this and they get on fine with it. So I think going to occlusion, what I, what I would say is that if you get the occlusion right, sometimes you're going to find the aesthetics difficult to achieve that the patient wants because in the end, denture teeth come out of a packet looking like a 12-year-old's teeth. You know, they've all got sharp cusps, pointy canines, etc. But when you get to my age, naturally, with your own natural teeth, you quickly notice that you get wear facets and grooves, etc. So everything you've learned about dentate occlusion, reverse it round for edentulous occlusion. So canine guidance is a bad thing in dentures. It's a great thing in dentate patients. Um, Non-working side contact is a bad thing in a dentate patient. But in a denture patient, it's what you want. Okay? Um, when you protrude, you don't want disclusion on your back teeth. However, trying to get that in denture cases is really difficult to get the back tooth coming into contact in, contact in protrusion. Uh, but they're your desirables. And if you aim to get those on bruxis patients or on parafunctional patients, that's where you're going to get a degree of better success. But I think the key thing with dentures is communication. Mm -hmm. It's communication. It's about talking to your patient about what is achievable. One, one, uh, that's, that's amazing. I, I like how you uh, talked about the different chewing patterns. So, you know, you say, um, you say dogs and, and sheep. I also like to say, you know, the whole rats and cows, you can say what you like, and that's a good way to think about it. So to be more careful in the cows, then you, you know, be careful with everyone, but your cows are particularly important or your sheep are particularly important to get that occlusion just uh, right. Um, cause they're, they can run into more problems. Now, one mistake I used to make or think about is that every patient must look class one or have a class one in size relationship oh, with their dentist. Here we go. So right. This is going to be an interesting one, Jazz. I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy this one. Go on. Okay, good, good. Because so that's a mistake I used to make, but then I realized, hang on a minute, the, their, their, whether they're class one, two, or three is dictated by their skeletal form. So we need to actually, uh, go by their skeletal. So then I started to make dentures that were more occlusively correct to, compared to what they probably had before. If they're class two, div one before, then I like to make their dentures a bit more class two, div one. The only issue I want to ask you is that with that is, A, is that am I doing the right thing? And B, is if they're class two, div one, then you're not going to get any anterior teeth contact. Is that going to be generally okay? Um, do they get anterior tooth contact when they have their natural teeth? No, not at all. So why do we why do we create that when we make dentures? I mean, it's a really interesting debate. I've heard, I've heard people who are really quite qualified in the profession who kind of insist every denture gets made as a class one. It's nonsense, you know. One of the things I do when a patient comes in, I, I check their sort of profile view and I make an assumption on whether they're class one, class two or class three. Okay. And by doing that, again, I can have a conversation with the patient and say, your front teeth are probably not going to meet when I make you the right set of dentures for you. And they'll go, well, my front teeth meet on these dentures. And then I'll go, but your lower denture moves. And they'll say, yeah, but I don't want my lower denture to move. And I'll say, well, we need to set you so your front teeth don't meet. And then it becomes a bit of a circle again going round. And again, I try and explain to them. I say, look, if you've got any photos of you when you're 12 or 14, any old school photos, I'll be able to show you what your teeth look like. And um, again, it, it's having that conversation at the start, not at the end when they've got a different pattern of teeth than they thought they were going to get. Now, going back to that study I did again, so one of, the complete, one of the things myself and Johnny are working on is try, trying to think of a way that we can allow guys like you to assess your patient before you start to see what degree of difficulty that patient will be. Okay, so that's what we're trying to work on. Like an index? So, like an index. So you can work through like a little tick box. So in these 60 patients, um, significant class two. So what I'm looking for are people who I can see are significantly class two. So 12% of patients are significantly class two. So that takes out all those people who had a slight overjet. These are people whose skeletal patterns are massively discre discre massive discrepancies there. And in class threes, 
there are 9%. So instantly you've got 20% of the population have got quite severe skeletal discrepancies. Now, the way I get that round to a patient is I talk about your upper denture is for beauty and your lower denture is for function, okay? So we have to put your lower teeth in the correct place over your ridge as close as possible to where your natural teeth would have been. And that's the way I get around that, and that's a conversation to have with them. Brilliant. And it's good to ask, like you say, for their old photos, not only for the occlusal element, but also for when you're designing um, their, their teeth setup as well. So leading on to that. I so think I'll, ask you, to... I'll ask yeah. you a question on that, Jazz. Okay. Yeah, sure. So if you, if you were going to place your canine tooth mm-hmm. and your first premolar tooth in relation to the lower ridge, okay? okay, where would you place them in relation to the lower ridge? Would you place them buckily? lingually or on the ridge sorry to put you on the spot but it's a good no no, fantastic so you're talking about your upper denture where to where you put your teeth no no we're talking the lowest because low is the one that people have problems with okay fine so um in terms of positionally whether the teeth themselves the long axis of the teeth are on the ridge buckle or lingual um yeah i think on the ridge i something I, i i i must be honest with you i don't i haven't thought about that much Okay, so you're correct. It's on the ridge. So the question I say is why? Okay, why on the ridge? So those teeth that you take ah, out, okay. the canines and the lower premolars, how do, how do we take them out? Because dentistry all links up. So we've talked about orthodontic skeletal patterns. So if you take out a lower canine or a lower premolar, how do you take that tooth out? You rotate it. You don't lean it buckly. You don't lean it lingually. It's a rotational mm-hmm. thing because of the conical root. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you get a similar pattern of bone loss buckly and lingually. Okay, so your canines and your premolars have to be directly over the ridge. Mm-hmm. And that's a fundamental of denture making. And I see so many dentures when they come into me and those, those teeth are massively buckled to the ridge. And why is that? Because they've tried to turn a class two into a class one. Well, if you, if you just think about engineering and physics, if they're buckled to the ridge and it's causing like a, a cantilever, a levering sort of effect in that area, it's not going down the, you know, the, the force is not being... Going, it's not going down the correct path. Well, that's true, but it's more against the, the balance of muscles, really, because the mm-hmm. modiolus muscle will push, or the modiolus insertion will, will push those, uh, back those teeth, if they place buckly, they'll go lingually. So your muscles yep. are not in balance, and it goes back to the analogy with the windowsill I said earlier. You know, mm-hmm. that's you pushing on a day that's not very windy. Well, on that note about ridges, um, is it true that... If you have a flat ridge, your teeth shape should be flatter than if you've got like a, a pointier, bigger ridge that you can afford to have um, deeper fossy on their teeth, like a actual, like sharper teeth, if you like. Is that, is that, is, is that a... So my, my question would be, why, why would you want sharp fossa teeth anyway on a, on a set of dentures? Because ultimately, you, you, you don't. You're not going to help anyone. Your, your occlusion is going to have to be so nailed on perfect in that case. Mm. So really, you need to be flattening cusps anyway on dentures. I'm not, talk- I'm not saying go back to having flat cusp teeth, but you don't want anything sharp. Mm-hmm. And again, it's one of, the, one of the common mistakes people make. So somebody comes in with a 40-year-old set of dentures. There's no cusps on those teeth. And then what we do is we give them a new set of teeth with beautiful cusps. And do you know what? Weirdly, they can't slide the teeth from side to side anymore because they're locked into an occlusion. Well, so you know, um, laboratories when they actually take the the stock teeth do they have like a, a stock teeth which are pre-flattened or worn like age appropriate molars yeah, or do they you, yeah. you can you can certain companies do have those yeah so uh, it just makes sense doesn't it really it makes total sense yeah i you know if you i'm in my 50s now you know i've got wear facets on my teeth we mentioned it earlier you know, you wear things down, you get used to things. And all of a sudden, if you, if somebody can't make those free excursions when they get their new dentures, they're going to get, the lower denture is going to move because there's nothing to stop it. If their teeth are together, they're trying to slide. The denture is going to move. They're going to get more pain. They're going to, they're going to get TMJ pain. They're going to get muscle pain. They're going to get all sorts of pain. Fine. So um, in the interest of time, I've got one last uh, question before you can give any um, f- final closing comments. And that question is regarding probably the stage of complete denture um, sort of uh, appointments, where, which is 
I found the trickiest and probably still the, one of the most important ones and the trickiest ones I find is the, the wax jaw registration stage. I remember as a student okay. um, on the, on the PlayStation playing FIFA with my friend, uh, with my flatmate Harmy and I'm playing, I was, Oh, at two o'clock, I've got a patient. I've got to do a wax jaw reg. Can we just quickly revise like um, what the five things we have to record are? And I actually remember a lot of times I sort of tap back that conversation. I remember what the five things to record were. So um, can you give us, um, uh, the listeners, your main things to record and top tips for the wax jaw registration stage? Okay, so if you want those, the best way of doing it is uh, there's some you know, some Facebook groups around. Um, yep. So I did. I'm trying to do a post a month at the moment um, to help people with their dentures. I think it was a March post on the by dentists for dentists for dentists by dentists. I think, and also Brilliant. on the there's one called Food. It used to be called Foundation Dentist, but now it's called Food. I uh, like food. And I did a real. You like food? What generally or just the, the website? Both the group and 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 oh, generally in the group. <laughs> okay, and I did a whole blo- I did a whole thing about it. And the big tip for me is if you know that your lower teeth have to go somewhere in relation to that ridge and it's non-negotiable, okay? Why do we need such big wax blocks? We don't need wax blocks. So I use something called a three-pillar technique where I have a small anterior pillar uh, and a small pillar in both molar regions. And by doing that, you're taking a lot of error out of it because all you've got to do is make sure three things gently touch at the same time rather than a seven-to-seven wax block. So I think the best way of answering that is go onto the website, uh, go onto uh, those Facebook groups. And I'll put those links on. I'll put the, yeah, I'll put those posts on so that they can access those group uh, and also Yeah, they can go directly to them. Because yeah, so it, it I'll really, Did you see it, Jazz, when I did it last yeah, week? Yeah, I did. Or not? I did. did I, saw, I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. Yeah, it's very nice. So I think that will help people because it's very visual. So everyone, I'll add that on so you can uh, read more about um, those tips about the, the wax jaw registration. So, so Mark, um, any closing comments that you want to pass on to listeners um, about how to improve their complete dentures? I think we've covered quite a few things about anatomy, patient expectations, psychology, problem solving. Actually, problem solving we need to actually just cover a little bit about in terms of the patient that comes in for review appointments and they're having pain and problems. Yeah. You taught me so yeah. much. I mean, I, I still, the only reason I have Dical in the practice is because of you, uh, about for complete dentures. And the nurse is always <laughs> giving me a, nurses give me a funny look every time I ask for a Dical with uh, for dentures, but that's, that's what you taught me. Do you want to know a funny story about CQC and Dical, Jazz? So <laughs> I, still use that, I still use that technique um, where I use the white from the Dical just to dry this sore ulcerated tender area, dab it on the mucosa, put the denture in, it picks up on the denture, you were just the denture. It was one thing that we got a slightly negative mark on because the dical was out of date. Um, but I wasn't <laughs> using it for putting it on. So uh, apparently, a little tip for people, if you are going to use things that are out of date, make sure you put it in a box saying out of date materials and you're fine. Okay, that's a good idea, actually. And same goes with composites, actually, if you're using composites out of date for, like, shade checking or mock-ups. mock-ups. Yeah, yeah, good. yeah, yeah. That's a good yeah. little tip. So, so put so, everything so in a box, say, now, not to be used for the purpose they were intended, uh, and you can save these out-of-date materials for that. You, you have saved a lot of people uh, in front of the CQC there. So, Mark, any, any closing comments? Closing comments is take longer for your dental checkup on denture patients. Take a very, very good history. Um, if you think you can't, if you think the dentures are very, very good, uh, and you're not sure you can work out what's wrong with them, don't start making a new set of dentures. If you can't diagnose what's wrong with the old dentures, you have pretty much no chance of making an improvement. So that would be my, my finishing thing and be prepared to say to patients, I'm sorry, I think you need a more experienced prostodontist for this. Thank you very much. And then the, the, all those gems were amazing. And I'll put all the uh, other sort of links to the, 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 your posts on as well. And one thing that we, we, we talked about on, on Facebook, and I can mention it now, is um, just touching on what you just said, is the importance of the diagnosis. Now, a lot of times for dentists, the diagnosis is going to be edentulous ridges, and the treatment plan will be complete dentures. Right. Shall I put you, I'll, I'll please, put you a treatment please. Give me a minute. Right. Okay. So here it is. <laughs> I put this up because I thought we might discuss it. So you just reminded example, me you now. It's an example of a treatment plan. So here we go. I've got my books from my course. 
Oh, of course, if anyone's interested, www.thedentureguy.uk. I'll put a website link on as well. Cheers, Jess. So treatment plan. So this is just an example of somebody that I've seen. So I put recommend that the patient sees a GDP for alternative medication. So the reason I've done that is the patient's on lots of xerostomic medications. And no matter what I do, if they're on a load of things that make their mouth dry, they're going to get more ulcers. Okay. So next thing, recommend biotine for dry mouth. So this is just a treatment plan for this patient. Uh, make new dentures at an increased OVD. Uh, to increase the OVD by four to five millimeters. So before I start, I already know what I want to do. Um, ensure that we pick slightly lighter teeth uh, and a similar mold, and send an impression of the old one of the old denture to the lab with a photo. Okay. Extend the lowers onto a retromolar pad and increase the retention and stability. Uh, add an upper labial flange because this was somebody who came in who'd got no flange at the front, but they now can have one and correct the center line. So that's one of my treatment plans, not so make full full dentures. Yeah, exactly, which is, which is just funny when you think about it. So I, yeah, very, very uh, thorough, very, um, very, it's like almost like creates a little tick box for you as, as a guide for you to actually what you're doing. I have to have tick boxes, Jazz. I'm quite a simple guy. I love it. So, well, Mark, oh, thank you so much. One, for, one, one very quick thing before we go, Jazz, uh, letter yeah. writing as well. I write a letter mm. to everybody I ever make a set of dentures for. I write what I've said I'm going to do for them, why I'm going to do it. And if you get a template letter, it's dead easy to do. It takes 15 minutes to adjust the template letter. And if that saves you having to remake a set of dentures at the end, it's time well spent. That's a very good idea. And just... Um, it's a part of your consent process as well. So um, that's absolutely fantastic. Mark, thank you so much for, for sharing all your uh, pearls and wisdoms. And it's always lovely to speak to you again. It reminds me of uh, being a dentist student again, back all those years ago. Um, and it's been, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you. And Jazz, one thing, keep up the good work. It's lovely to see somebody who is an ethical guy who wants to do dentistry nicely, um, giving these podcasts to people, giving people a little bit of hope that it can be done. So just keep on doing it. Really appreciate that. Thank you. I'm enjoying it very much. And uh, the plan so far is to keep doing them because it's great. I'm learning. I mean, I learned a few gems from you there. And just with every guest I have on, it's just, uh, it's just, yeah, lots of fun. Thank you so much for watching and listening all the way to the end. I hope you enjoyed that. Anything that I promise in terms of the, the Facebook group that Mark mentioned and the Atwood classification, I'll put that on in the Protrusive Dental Community Facebook group. Uh, otherwise, I'll catch you in the next episode. Please, if you enjoyed this content, share it with your friends, share it with your prosthodontic colleagues, share it with um, your uh, dental students if you know any. And also, if you can leave me a review on your podcast platform, I'd really appreciate that. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye. 